everyone, welcome to episode 32 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, and this week we'll be doing our usual roundup of vulnerabilities and fixes that affect Ubuntu. In particular, we'll be having a pretty close look at the latest round of speculative execution vulnerabilities that are affecting Intel processors. Uh, these came under various names, including microarchitectural data sampling, to kind of name the, the group of them. And then things like Riddle, the Rogue Inflight Data Load, Fallout, and Zombie Load. So, you know, new vulnerabilities, a bunch of cool names for them. Anyway, and we'll do a roundup of fixes as well for other packages in Ubuntu. And we're going to have a chat to Seth Arnold on the Ubuntu security team about uh, code audits and main inclusion reviews. And this is the type of work that the security team does uh, to basically make sure that packages are up to scratch before we agree to do security maintenance on them as part of being in the main part of the distribution. Anyway, so let's get on with it. So this week, there were 37 unique CVEs that were addressed across the supported Ubuntu releases. The first one I want to look at is an update for Postgres SQL. Uh, there were two CVEs here that we fixed uh, across Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. So there's a couple different things here. Uh, one sort of feature of Postgres is that it can store statistics across uh, or for a column and by sampling the, you know, the values that are in that column. And the other thing you can do with Postgres, though, is you can also put security policy on particular rows so that uh, certain users can't perhaps see the data that are in those rows. And you can probably see where I'm going with this, that the sampling wouldn't take into account the security policy. And so as a user, you could craft a leaky operator that would then return the sample data and effectively bypass the security policy. And so this was fixed to only allow uh, non-leak proof operators to be used to sample the data uh, when there was no relevant security policy uh, on any rows in place on that table. Uh, and there was also another vulnerability there, which was arbitrary server memory could be read by executing a crafted insert statement on a partition table. Uh, and so, But this one only affects Postgres uh, 11, and so that's only for Disco. The earlier ones, Xenial, uh, Bionic, and Cosmic, are all using uh, the earlier Postgres version that is not affected by that one. Next up, we have an update uh, for DHCP. Uh, so this is the ISC DHCP server in this case. Uh, one CV here that was fixed for Bionic and Cosmic. In this case, the server could crash uh, due to a mismatch in the way that it operated uh, and uh, the internal bind library that it's using. Uh, and so the way that the packaging works in Ubuntu is that uh, you know we don't want to maintain uh, internal copies of libraries. So we have bind spit out a, a library package. So the bind server generates this package that then gets used by, you know, in this case, the IC DHCP server. And we had an update for that, uh, for the version that was in Bionic and Cosmic, which changed the behavior to zero out an internal index. And then uh, the ISC DHCP server in this case would use those same uh, values when it was freeing, essentially calling into bind to free the memory. Uh, but it would look like it was still a valid index to the client, uh, the ISC uh, DHCP server because it he thought zero was still a valid index. So uh, it would get freed and then the uh, server would go and still use those values later on because it was zero. So uh, this was fixed instead by making sure that uh, the server would track that memory differently and it would uh, essentially set those indexes to minus one on its internal tracking to make sure that it didn't reuse those uh, values after being freed. So that was fixed for uh, the IC DHCP server. We've got an update for VCF tools. So three CVEs here that were fixed for Xenial. 
VCF tools is uh, a bunch of command line tools for working with Z VCF files, which are uh, basically used in a bunch of different uh, bioinformatics programs like uh, the Thousand Genomes Project and that kind of thing. And so it looks like someone has been fuzzing this in conjunction with Address Sanitizer from Clang uh, using various crafted VCF files to try and trigger different issues. And in particular, uh, they found a read-based heat buffer overflow. So this would lead to the usual uh, crash and therefore denial of service. And they found a couple different use after freeze as well. Uh, so in general, these lead to a uh, crash and that likely denial of service as the outcome. But depending on how you can corrupt memory in this case, uh, beforehand, you may actually be able to get it to then achieve code execution for you as well. So yeah, that's been fixed for VCF tools. We've got an update for OpenJDK. So four CVEs here fixed for Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic and Disco. So two of these uh, affect both OpenJDK 11 and OpenJDK 8. So they apply to uh, the version of OpenJDK that's in main for all of those four releases. Uh, in this case, there was a CPU-based denial of service uh, via the big decimal implementation. If it, you could get it to operate on certain crafted values, you could basically get it to exhaust CPU. And there was also a sandbox escape due to uh, it incorrectly selecting the wrong skeleton class in the RMI registry. So they've been fixed. And for uh, just OpenJDK 8, it's only applying to Xenial because OpenJDK 8 is only in uh, main in Xenial. Uh, there was two different sandbox escapes that uh, were found to be possible uh, via various uh, 2D graphics components parts of uh, the OpenJDK libraries. So they've been fixed as well. We've got an update for Samba. So one CVE here fixed for all of our supported releases, including precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. So this was in uh, essentially the Kerberos part of uh, Samba. This contains you know, an extension to allow a service to request a Kerberos ticket uh, back to itself on behalf of a non-Kerberos authenticated user. And so this allows essentially Kerberos to be used for a bunch of different internal code paths uh, internal to uh, Samba. And the idea here is that you can actually proxy these over the network so that a privileged server could proxy uh, on behalf of this non-Kerberos authenticated user. And what it would do is the, uh, the request would contain, you know, the identity of the user and a checksum, which uh, could be keyed so you could stop it being spoofed. The problem was that this checksum wasn't actually enforced. Uh, so an attacker who could man in the middle uh, this, you know, this network connection could intercept it. Uh, it could then rewrite this username to be any uh, user within the uh, Kerberos directory and uh, replace the uh, you know, maybe the key checksum with just a CRC32 that it could generate by itself. And this would then get uh, trusted and used and so you could effectively uh, proxy for other users that you didn't have the authority to. So a kind of a classic confused deputy problem there. Uh, so yeah, that's been fixed for Samba. We've got an update for Wireshark. So nine different CVEs here that were fixed for Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic. Uh, essentially, we've updated to uh, the 268 release of Wireshark uh, across those releases to fix a whole heap of different uh, crashes in various different packet dissectors that uh, yeah, you could basically trigger if Wireshark was operating on you know, various untrusted network data. Finally, we've got an update for the media info package. So two CVEs here fixed for Bionic, Cosmic and Disco. This is a command line tool for inspecting you know, various properties of media files like you know, run length and 
I don't know, encoders used and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, someone's been fuzzing it and they've found a couple of different uh, out-of-bound reads that could uh, you know, trigger a crash and therefore denial of service. So that's been fixed. Okay, so that takes us to the big update of the week, uh, the MDS microarchitectural data sampling vulnerabilities in uh, Intel processors. So uh, four different CVEs here that were assigned. We've published an article in the security team uh, knowledge base about this, and I've got a link to that in the show notes. Plus, I've got a link to some uh, great content that uh, the folks at Red Hat produced, in particular John Masters, uh, has written up a really good summary of this, and he's done a nice deep dive uh, video that, that goes for about 15 minutes uh, explaining some of this in a lot more detail. Uh, we did release a live patch notice for this, but just to say that these were too complicated to be able to be patched by live patch, so that if you are expecting this to be fixed via live patch, unfortunately, uh, that's not the case. You will need to uh, install the actual updated kernel and microcode and, and other packages that I'll go into in a minute and reboot uh, your machine. So uh, as I said, uh, these were four different CVEs here uh, that were bundled together, and these are related to different uh, microarchitectural elements within Intel CPUs. These have names like store buffers, load ports, and fill buffers. And these get used to complete the different higher level uh, computer architectural operations that your CPU does, like reading from an address and whatnot. It will use these you know, internal uh, buffers to do those operations. And there were four different CVEs here assigned uh, because uh, all of these are related it just depends on how you use each of these different uh, microarchitectural elements of the processor as i mentioned in the intro one of them riddle or broke in flight data load that uses the fill buffers and load ports of the cpu uh, the other one called fallout that uses the store buffers and you may have also heard the term zombie load uh, referred to uh, for these. And that was also kind of an independent discovery of the fill buffer variant of this. So different teams of researchers, including the ones who found the original Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities, have been looking at this kind of stuff now for, well, I guess, the past uh, 18 months, really. And finding you know, more and more uh, different ways that they can exploit these, the way, the way that they can exploit various, uh, I guess, optimizations that have been put into Intel processors. Uh, the nature of these vulnerabilities in this case is that these different uh, microarchitectural buffers get reused across different operations of the CPU. And in particular, they also get reused across hyperthreads. And so what can happen there is that one process who is you know, executing an operation, some of its data will get put into uh, one of these buffers. Then the next process that comes along, it may be able to uh, sample the contents of that buffer uh, through speculative execution techniques and therefore infer the contents of it. And so you can effectively you know, read the contents of some other process as a result. Uh, the problem with uh, something like hyperthreading or uh, symmetric multiprocessing, as it's called more generically, is that uh, these a bunch of these buffers get reused across uh, processes that are both executing at the same time on the same core. And so you can actually kind of uh, spy on another process directly. Uh, the way that they that Intel decided this should be fixed was that the main idea is that you want to flush these different buffers as you switch between processes. And so there was a, an instruction in uh, the x86 instruction set, uh, VERW, ver, uh, that was repurposed that would uh, clear these buffers. And so that's done through a microcode update. And so that means that you need to either have installed the latest Intel microcode package from Ubuntu or you need to have installed a BIOS update from your uh, PC vendor to make sure that you've got that updated microcode. 
The kernel then is able to make use of that, and so that means that when it's switching uh, tasks in the scheduler, it will execute this VERW instruction to make sure that these buffers are cleared as appropriate. And this includes things like switching between different user space tasks or switching from a user space task into the kernel, or even switching you know, from the host into a guest virtual machine, that kind of thing. Uh, but as I mentioned before, the problem is some of these different buffers are actually shared uh, on the CPU core between two different processes that are executing with hyperthreading. And these can't be cleared uh, due to the way that the processor works with hyperthreading on because these things are executing at the same time. And so the only way really to mitigate it in the case that you, know, you are running, say, untrusted code of different security domains is to disable hyperthreading. And so you either do that in your BIOS or you can do it on the kernel command line. And so if you look at uh, the, as I said, the MDS knowledge base article that we've published, there's more details on that. The last little complication is if you are doing virtualization, uh, the, you know, the guest CPU actually needs to be clearing these buffers directly when it's switching processes. And so there's also updates, not just to the kernel packages, but to uh, QEMU and libvirt as well to expose you know, these CPU capabilities to the guest and to allow it to take advantage of that. Yeah, so as I said, uh, what this really means then is we've got updates then to effectively four different packages across uh, the archive. There's obviously all the different uh, Linux kernel packages have been updated. So that includes you know, the standard kernels, the hardware enablement kernels, that kind of thing. Uh, plus, we've also got updates to the Intel microcode package as well, obviously to ship this new microcode that can be loaded you know, in early boot. And finally, we've got updates to QEMU and libvirt as well. So usually in this podcast, I would go through and round up all these different things as I talk about the different uh, package updates. But in this case, we've got the same different vulnerabilities here across all those packages. So I'm not going to go into detail about that. Uh, what that also means, though, is that uh, we have rolled in some other uh, fixes as well, in particular for the different kernel updates. There are other vulnerabilities that we've bundled into these updates as well. Uh, so I unfortunately won't be covering those today. Plus, we've also got a few updates uh, for QEMU as well, uh, other different vulnerabilities that were fixed there as well. So if you want to know more about those, I've got links to the Ubuntu security notices in the show notes for this. Uh, so you can go and dig up the details of that uh, at your leisure. All right, that takes us to the end of the usual list of fixes and uh, you know vulnerabilities from the week. Uh, the next thing I wanted to do was I had a chat with uh, one of the Ubuntu security team members, Seth Arnold, about main inclusion reviews. So I've talked about this in a previous episode at a bit more of a higher level. Uh, but basically, the Ubuntu archive is split into two different components, so split into two main components. Main, which is where kind of all the packages that are supported by uh, Canonical uh, are housed, plus Universe, which is where all the packages that are supported by the community. And what that means is that packages in Universe uh, don't generally get uh, security fixes from the Ubuntu security team. That's up to the community to provide those. And when a package, for whatever reason, maybe wants to get migrated into main because we want to use it uh, as part of you know, some uh, direct feature that is supported by Canonical, that then needs to undergo a main inclusion review. And so this review is both uh, from, say, a packaging point of view, you know, how up-to-date is the package, does it follow proper Debian packaging guidelines, that kind of thing. But it also undergoes a security review. So are there outstanding CVEs for the package? Uh, how well is the code written? How easy is it to maintain? Is upstream active? All that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, I had a chat to Seth about this because he does a lot of the work doing the main inclusion reviews. He's one of our generalists on the team and has a very good background in uh, code auditing in particular. Uh, and so, yeah, I started off by asking Seth about how he does that. 
I do a lot of the main inclusion reviews for Ubuntu, and we've built a process around doing it so that we can do repeatable reviews with uh, predictable outcomes and try to give us a, a framework to assessing whether or not a package has much security impact. We've all seen code that works beautiful and is well written, and code that is not beautiful barely does its job, and we wonder why we still ship it. And it's part of my job is to help us decide what packages are worth the risk to support. Some are clearly worth supporting, like Apache or Nginx, where everybody uses it. The upstreams have been involved for decades and are really good at what they do. And other times, it's just one person. And it's harder to tell with the smaller teams or the newer packages. Uh, sometimes it's amazing code, and we'd be happy to support it. It's something that's worth the risk for our users. And other times, we don't believe it's mature enough. Sometimes the code's not redeemable, and other times it's close with some attention and love. So to do a review, we have a handful of tools that will look through the source code, try to find some dangerous operations. Um, in some languages, there are some operations that are just known to be dangerous. In C, it's practically everything. So memory management, string handling, file operations, network operations. Basically, the entire thing is a bag of glass. Uh, other languages, there's a handful of operations that are dangerous. Um, so we, we take a look at all the areas of the code that these tools automatically spit out for us and look to make sure that they handle errors. Do they check the return values? If the inputs are dangerous, how do they sanitize the inputs before making these calls? It's occasionally tedious. There's some code bases I've loved reading, and it's, you know, better than any novel, and other code bases where it's just kind of pulling teeth. It's truly a lot of fun, though, because for a day, a day and a half, I get to see the world through another programmer's eyes. I get to see the problems they're solving, how they choose to solve them, uh, what languages they're using, because some, you know, I get to pretend to be an expert in any language any given day of the week. We support just about everything. So as I go through a program, I start out with basically no idea what it does, but I'd look at the small things. How well does this code work? And by the time I'm done, I might have read a few hundred thousand lines of code, might have read a couple dozen lines of code. It depends on the project. I get a feeling for how disciplined is this team? Are they writing code in a manner that we can work with them? Do they have the discipline it takes to write software in a hostile environment? Because the internet's a hostile place these days. Uh, code that might have been fine 25 years ago is quite often not fine today. But code that might have started last week might have less real-world experience, might have more rough edges, and yet often coded with better discipline from the start just because people are more aware of the security details and programming. So after looking through this source code, I've got a pretty good feeling for the overall layout of an application. I'll have a good feeling of where inputs come in, where outputs go out, how it interacts with other processes on the system, what it does on the network, and I'll get a pretty good feeling for the programmers who wrote it. And there are times when I can even tell which programmer wrote which code. It's truly fun to see a programmer's personality in their software. And there's some that I love reading. And you know, I wish I could read their code all day long. But, you know, it's 
The variety is also the spice of life, isn't it? <laughs> we also have some automated tools that actually look for specific errors. Uh, one of the most productive tools that we have is CPP Check. It runs the simplest checks you can imagine on C and C++ code and finds a remarkable variety of actual real-world bugs. If I could have one thing to ask for the C and C++ programmers, please use this. Please use the sanitizers that the compilers offer. We don't actually check the sanitizer output, but it'd be nice to. Uh, we're currently working on deploying Coverity so that we can inspect a wider variety of source packages in more depth. Uh, so far, I haven't actually used it on the main inclusion review, but it's been a fantastic tool for the AppArmor team. It's found bugs that I'm not sure users would have been able to report effectively. I don't know if users would be able to hit them, but if a user did hit them, they certainly wouldn't have been able to report them. Not everything it finds is an actual problem, but it's quite often something that's worth fixing anyway. We're looking to expand the offerings uh, some of the automatic tools that we use. Uh, I know that there are a handful of kind of sanitizing checkers for Python to do static analysis, and that's something that we've been meaning to do more fully. And we've just got a new team member on board who I believe will be instrumental in making that happen. Cool. So I've done a few of these main inclusion reviews myself, and Thankfully, the main ones I've looked at have been in C, so I've felt uh, quite comfortable doing those. But it must be, uh, as you said, you get to be a, a language expert uh, in anything on any given day. So that must be a bit challenging, Seth. It can be. And you know, part of the nice thing about working for Canonical is we have experts on a wide variety of things who are happy to answer questions. So I don't know Go particularly well, but I have 50 coworkers who do. And a handful of them I know well enough that I can bother any time when I've got questions like, hey, what, what's this? What are the consequences of this? And they'll usually have a pretty good answer for me and know that I'm coming from a security perspective and have an answer from the security perspective, which is truly fun that there are times when, yes, I'm on the security team, but my, my coworkers know more than I do on just about anything. Like, I'm a really good generalist. I, I know a lot about a lot, but there are folks who know things in incredible depth and detail, and it's a fantastic resource to have available. It, an experience like nothing else. Probably the best job I've ever had. Well, thanks, Seth. I reckon that is a great point to leave it. Thanks so much for talking to me today. And thank you. It was fun. Thanks for that, Seth. So next, uh, the team is hiring. We've got two open positions. We've got an open position for a robotic security engineer. So if you are into ROS and you want to help define uh, the security uh, kind of aspects of ROS going forward, I would urge you to apply for that. Or if uh, you're into security certifications and you know what uh, STIG and common criteria and these kind of things are, and you would love to see uh, Ubuntu certified to these different standards, then uh, I would urge you to apply for the second position. And I've got links to both of the job applications and descriptions in the show notes, so I urge you to check those out and apply. Okay, that takes us to the end of this episode. As usual, if you'd like to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at security@ubuntu.com. Or you can find the team hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. So come on in and say day and talk to us about anything Ubuntu security related. Or you can find us on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks again everyone for listening this week. Uh, remember, until next week, keep calm, enable automated upgrades, and I will speak to you again soon. Bye.